just when you thought it was safe to go onto iTunes. This is Next Level Guy. The only website that makes self-development as fun as going to the movies. It's time to take the red pill and escape the Matrix. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Next Level Guys Show podcast. I'm your host, Ian Dawson Mackay. Today's guest is one of the strongest bodybuilders and business moguls ever, Stan the White Rhino Everdeen. In this episode, we discuss bodybuilding, business, and how you can build a dream body and find the true strength in all aspects of your life. But first, a quick word about our affiliates. Next Level Guy has some amazing deals with some awesome companies. To see the exclusive listener deals, discount codes, and special offers, simply go to www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates. That's www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates. You should pick up a copy of the Tools of the Titans book from Tim Ferriss. It's like an encyclopedia of success. The gorgeous protein powder from the Protein Works. The Jaffa cake flavour is amazing. And some truly awesome Star Wars inspired kettlebells from those great people at onit.com. If you want to build some muscle and learn how to be great in the gym, you should check out The Lifting Lyceum by Greg Nichols and Omar Isif. And if you want to pick up the ladies, have a look at The Natural by RSD Max and those people at rsd.com. All the show notes and more are available on nextlevelguy.com and this episode is number 26. And now to the interview with the rhino himself. Enjoy. Thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. I've been a big fan for ages, but for somebody who doesn't know who you are, how would you define your story in a sort of little soundbite? Boy, I don't know. I tell you, I think most, first and foremost, it's just uh, I've kind of been a blue-collar guy all my life, blue-collar athlete, blue-collar entrepreneur, and I just believe that, that consistency, time management, hard work has been uh, has worked in my favor because I don't think I had any specific uh, advantages, either physically or mentally, over the years that I could prey off of. I just had to work hard, and that's it, and that's what I preach. So what got you into bodybuilding and powerlifting? You know, were you, was it just a love as a kid, or is, did uh, something motivate you towards it? Yeah, just physically. I was a skinny kid. I wanted to be have more muscle, and that was... Uh, that's how it started lifting. I was a tiny little guy. I was 100 pounds in high school. I wrestled 98 as a freshman and sophomore, 106 as a junior, and 115 as a senior. And even when I got to college, I was only 135 pounds, and I couldn't even bench 135. So powerlifting was not even on the radar. I just started lifting weights because I wanted to look better and gain muscle. And then I associated size with strength, and so I always lifted heavy. And over the years, I got stronger and stronger. And by the time I, you know, figured it out how strong I was, I, I uh, started looking at competing in powerlifting. So, it, but it took 10 years from the time I started lifting when I was 17 to my first powerlifting meet uh, in 1996 when I was uh, 20. Uh, uh, shoot, was I 27? So you mentioned there that you know you associated size with um, you know with strength and power. What do you think makes a good man? You know, what makes a great man a powerful man? Well, you know, nowadays I see more of a hybrid. I see, uh, I don't see one rep 
maxes as being as beneficial for hypertrophy. I understand the difference now after studying the science and experiencing it myself through trial and error. So, you know, I don't think there's any one thing that that defines a man in terms of his athleticism because everybody's different. And that's why training needs to be different for everybody, whether it's powerlifting, bodybuilding, whether it's any competitive sport, you know, football, basketball, anything, uh, strong men, CrossFit, uh, you know, pro MMA fighters, they all train differently. Uh, and so I've learned over the years as I've worked with these athletes that you have to customize the program for the goal that you have that you're pursuing. And what do you think makes a, a good man, you know, somebody that you're, you know, your kids can look up to away from the gym? You know, what, what's your definition of a good man, like a role model? Well, strong mind and strong body and certainly, uh, you know, being treating people, other people with dignity and respect. And those are the examples that I try and set. I've got a five-year-old uh, daughter and a three-year-old son. I raised my uh, stepson, who's now 18, from the time he was two years old. And, you know, as being a role model, then you want to, to do, you know, work hard and be consistent. That was always the thing that, that, that made me successful, is that I just kept stabbing away at it, kept practicing, practicing, and trying and trying. And so now, you know, every day I get up and I, I exercise, and my kids see that, and so now they want to participate. I eat healthy, uh, you know, I don't keep a lot of crap in the house, I don't drink sodas, and I have a lot of sugar and white flour and stuff like that, and I, we don't uh, eat a lot of, you know, treats and candy and stuff like that very often, so the kids see that, you know, they, it's not part of their daily regimen, so they build a discipline, uh, and then, of course, you know, I always understood that bodybuilding wasn't a career, and so I stayed in school, uh, got a college degree, I got a job, I worked hard, eventually started some businesses, became successful as a result. And so I now my kids, even at their young years, I've, I've got them in Kumon learning to read and to write even before kindergarten and uh, do math. Uh, and they understand the consistency of it. We do homework every day, you know, at least 20, 30 minutes, seven days a week. It's just something that we do. It becomes a habit. And that's kind of what what becomes most important uh, to be successful is that you create good habits. And how can somebody start building that, you know, the consistency and the habit of going to the gym? You know, how, how would you take a complete beginner and get them into the gym and get them going on a good program? Well, the first thing I'd find out is if that's what they wanted to do. You know, I've said before in my Rhino's rants that, you know, what's the best exercise? The one you'll do. What's the best? best diet and that's you know the one that you'll the one that you'll do uh so if i find out what they want first then it becomes pretty easy uh as long as you make it fun for them then they'll do it and so when i take somebody to the gym for the first time i have to be careful not to make it uh i hate to use the word too difficult but i i want to make it fun for them i want them to enjoy the process when i teach someone to squat I worry less about all the variables and the techniques, and I worry more about can I make this movement comfortable for them? Can I make them enjoy the movement? Because then they'll keep coming back and trying it again and again and again. Because over time, that's what's most important, consistency. Certainly more important than intensity uh, long-term. You know, the, the tortoise and the hare story. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And if I can just keep people coming back, if I can do it 
uh, let them enjoy the process, then that's, that's the best way to do it. So I take someone to the gym, and that's what they want to do is get stronger. And then I find exercises that they like. I show them how to do them so they feel good. And then I encourage them to, to create a, uh, you know, a schedule that they come in and do that consistently. Because working out once really hard doesn't do a whole lot for you uh, as compared to working out frequently and consistently over an extended period of time. You know, your body will adapt and grow uh, from that consistency. So it's not specific, it's kind of general, uh, and it's more the intangibles that matter uh, to me than than uh, the specifics. And is that where you see a lot of people going wrong? Uh, you know, they just go to the gym and do the three sets of ten, you know, what they've read and seen other people do, or, you know, do you, what do yeah. you see people going wrong with? Absolutely. Absolutely. Whether it's weight loss or weight gain or strength or anything else, uh People go in and do what they seem to think is traditional. Some folks want to lose weight. They'll go out and put on their, go buy a pair of tennis shoes and start jogging. Well, very few people enjoy that, and they're certainly not going to do that consistently or long term. It becomes monotonous, and uh, it's not terribly effective to begin with. But the point is, is if we can find something that they'll do consistently, then uh, and make it make their body enjoy the movements. You know, I find I'll pick exercises that they like. And I, and I interact with them that way. I'll ask them those questions. You know, how does that feel? Do you like that? And then you can start putting carrots in front of them uh, in terms of, of getting stronger, you know, more sets, more reps, more weight, uh, and those kinds of things. They start to develop over time. So that's what I think is important. And you mentioned there, you know, that the gym should be, like, everybody's different, so the gym approach should be different for everybody. But are there set things that every guy should be able to do, like a pull-up, a, you know, a double-weight body um, rep on a you know, deadlift? Is there anything like that that, you know, we should be able to tick off to say we're a man? Well... The fundamentals always work the best, and I hate to sound like an old fart that, you know, an old school guy. That's, but squats, bench, deadlift, overhead press, chins, dips, those are the basics. Those will yield the greatest results, the biggest return on your time invested. And if you're an athlete, you don't really want to be good at lifting weights. You want to use it for the purpose it's intended, and that's to make you stronger. You want to be good at your sport. And you'd like to spend more time doing that, learning the sport-specific skills on the field. That's what's important. So for most people, lifting weights is just an adjunct. It just uh, improves performance. And so it shouldn't be the, the majority of their time invested. You should be able to get the most out of it with the least time investment. And that's what happens when I work with football players or MMA fighters or any other athlete is I try and use it for its intended purpose. And that's as little as is necessary to yield the greatest result, which is strength. And so I use those exercises. So anybody that goes to the gym for that purpose to get stronger should be looking at those fundamental exercises, like you said, the squat, the deadlift, the chin-ups, the dips, uh, the overhead presses, those kinds of things. And, I mean, is there targets that you set for particular people? Is it like do your body weight in the squat, do your body weight on the bench, or is it more just for what the person wants to do as an overall goal, like lose 30 pounds? Or... Yeah, you know, it depends on 
not what their goals are. If they just want to lose weight, then I just want them to consistently be in the gym, uh, working their muscles so they don't lose muscle tissue at the same time. If they want to increase sports performance, then and up to a certain point, you just want to get as strong as possible. And by that, I mean that, that you need to be strong enough. Sometimes uh, once you reach a certain strength, the time uh, necessary to get stronger may not be beneficial in terms of the benefit it yields. Uh, just because you can squat, if you can squat 400 pounds, getting to 500 might not increase your sports performance nearly as, as significantly as the time necessary to get from 400 to 500. But if you're only squatting 135, getting from 135 to 400 is worth the investment and will yield a huge return in, in terms of sports performance. So, uh, and also, everybody has a different starting point. You know, when I was first started lifting, I couldn't bench 135. But all the frat kids that were in the gym were benching two and a quarter. And so, you know, for me, it's not about going zero to 100. If I can go zero to one, then I could get results. My people can start building muscle and building strength. Uh, the body doesn't respond by, you know, overloading it to some extraordinary extreme. It stimulates, don't annihilate. The body responds just by uh, a little bit of, of, of overload, and then the adaptation process will make you stronger and, and yield some, uh, you know, hypertrophy results. So it's a gradual process for me. I don't, I don't put a limit on it, uh, and I don't, I don't put a max on it. The least you need to lift or the most you need to lift. I just start where the athlete uh, is at their current level and then try and, you know, like I say, if, if you go from sitting on the couch to walking, that's improvement. If you go from, uh, you know, drinking uh, uh, sugar sodas to drinking diet sodas, that's improvement. And so that, that's, that's my goal is to start with people where they're at and gradually build them into get them where they want to be without overtaxing them because then you might you might set them back some people might go to a, a training session and i'll use the the example of a, say a crossfit session I've, I've had uh so many people that would go in and and the coach might overtrain them the first time then they end up for the next four days can't even move their arms you know trying to do too much uh, same thing can happen in weightlifting you just can't overtrain a beginner and expect them to be able to recover and come back and enjoy the process so it's gradual I've been there, heavy squat session, and then went and did laps in the pool and thought that was a smart idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know what? And even even experts do that. You know, Greg Knuckles just was made a post yesterday where he went in and did a heavy day and then finished with uh, some high rep stuff, and he had uh, delayed onset muscle soreness that was, that was more intense than he's had in years and couldn't walk for three days practically. So... You know, it happens to all of us, uh, and sometimes you do need to take your body someplace it hasn't been before. You know, progress is going to stall out at some point. But for beginners, uh, you know, the goal is just to go in there and, and do a little more than you did yesterday or last week, and you'll continue to improve. So how serious does a beginner need to take this? You know, is it a case of just going to the gym consistently and worry about your diet and things later, or should you just start improving everything a bit as you go? I think you improve everything as you go. I think you make small changes. Uh, What I've found is if you do too much too quick, if you change too many things too fast, that people have a hard time adhering to the program, and compliance is the number one reason that people drop off. They just aren't consistent. They don't stick with the program. 
for instance, somebody who was just eating anything and everything and is 40 pounds overweight and doesn't exercise, if you immediately put them on a vegan diet and have them doing um, CrossFit wads three times a day, you know, what's the likelihood they're going to stick with that program? And I'm not slamming either vegan diets or CrossFit. I'm just saying those are the can be uh, very advanced programs for people uh, to be able to comply with those. You've got to be good at, uh, you know, designing a, a healthy diet and you've got to be, uh, you know, uh, I think physically prepared to do uh, extreme workouts. And if you're not, then you're going to die out pretty quick. So I try and give them like the example, I made the simplest program first. I, you know, maybe just, if you're sedentary, just take a 10 minute walk after each meal, each of three meals a day. That can be huge in terms of the benefit it will yield in comparison to what you did previously. And if you aren't exercising, then maybe just some air squats and some push-ups uh, will give you great results initially because beginners tend to, to get great results when they initiate a program. And then as you get more advanced, you'll have to do a little bit more and a little bit more uh, as you get closer and closer to your goal or you desire more and more improvements in terms of body composition or, uh, uh, you know, body weight or strength. All of those are going to require and every step along the way of trying to achieve your next goal is going to be harder and harder. It's going to require more discipline with your diet. It's going to require more discipline with your training and higher intensity with your training uh, every step of the way. I mean, I've definitely reached the point where I've plateaued a few times and I've kind of gone, you know, balls to the wall approach, but I keep forgetting. It's just keep changing, just keep adapting, doing the, like you're saying, doing the little things. So why do you think guys nowadays are so quick to say, oh, he's on steroids or, oh, he's, you know, he's definitely on the juice or whatever? You know, why is it easier for guys to just make excuses of why they can't do that and why somebody's better than just, you know, because when you grew up, you, you know, you used the big guys as a kind of, I want to be like them, I want to beat them. Why are we so weak in that sense? I got to tell you, first and foremost, because they're right, you cannot achieve what top athletes are doing with steroids, uh, attempting to do that without. And so that's a fair argument for those people. It should not be a reason for them not to pursue their goals as just as hard as they can, but it's certainly a reason for them to to not make an, I'm not saying it's making an excuse, but to recognize that the likelihood that they'll squat 900 pounds like I did uh, naturally is probably not going to happen. So I think it's a legitimate uh, statement to make. Now, where you go from there is up to you, whether or not you're still driven to be the best you can be as a natural athlete. I think that's great. I've worked with lots of natural athletes over the years. Uh, um, you can't do as much. You can't train as often and recover as well. Uh, you probably won't get as strong nor uh, get as much hypertrophy. There will always be a difference between those those two groups. And I respect those people who make that decision for themselves. But uh, people who don't decide to be natural and do decide to use performance enhancing drugs, that's their decision. Just like, uh, you know, someone might put their teenage daughter on birth control or someone might take uh, uh, be hypogonadal and need testosterone therapy just to, to feel healthy and, and 
not suffer from depression or erectile dysfunction, or just like a woman who's been through menopause uh, might need uh, thyroid uh, or who suffers from low, you know, hypothyroidism, uh, which is the most prescribed drug in America. Uh, I don't consider that cheating on any level unless an enhanced athlete com- is competing in a tested sport, which I, I think is reprehensible. Uh, I've never done that. I've always competed on a level playing field with people who uh, were also uh, enhanced and using performance-enhancing drugs, so I make no excuses for my choices. Um, but understand that hormones are a very important part of the big picture. And I'll say this as well. If you're a coach training an, uh, uh, an aspiring individual, whether an athlete or whether it's a, just a, um, somebody who wants to lose weight or gain muscle, and you don't at least uh, recognize the importance of hormones and hormone deficiencies in their potential to progress, then I think you're stealing their money. I ask my clients to get blood tests, and if they're hypogonadal or have hypothyroidism or have low iron or vitamin D for that matter, I recommend that they get that problem fixed, whether that means going to a doctor and get a prescription, or in many cases, whether that means just losing significant amount of body fat, improving their uh, blood sugars, etc., getting better sleep so that their own system works better. At least I recognize that's a problem and we're implementing a process to, to fix that problem. Uh, and it can be done with or without a prescription for some people and others may uh, just not be able to, uh, to overcome hypothyroidism or hypogonadism and, and will need testosterone therapy or uh, uh, thyroid therapy or any other number of medications to remedy hormone deficiencies because it's huge. You cannot put muscle on somebody who's hypogonadal. And you uh, are going to have a hell of a time taking body fat off of somebody who's hypothyroid. Um, and, and it's going to affect them both physically and mentally. And so I think that it's important for uh, coaches and trainers and, and doctors alike to recognize that as a problem and, and seek to remedy it, just as you would putting them on an exercise program, just as you would putting them on a healthy diet. You would need to also have them get a blood test and remedy deficiencies. And is this something that you can see on people without a blood test, or does it have to be seen it in a sort of laboratory setting? I mean, there's some, there's some markers. There's some things you can look at if, if people are, aren't progressing. If you start them with a basic program and you, they just aren't losing weight and they are complying, which most of the time, if someone's not performing well, there's generally a, a personal responsibility or, or a... Uh, they're just not complying most of the time. I find that to be the case because I don't want to, for people to run out and think that everybody has a thyroid problem or everybody needs testosterone. Very few people do, as a matter of fact. That's a very small percentage, and, and, and I think that often that can be used as an excuse. Or um, getting thyroid medication can be used as a crutch when you may not need it. Uh, so I'm not an advocate of doing that in the absence of, of a necessity, but um, – if people aren't performing and they've tried everything else, uh, I like to start with the blood test, but at some point you should recommend uh, the blood test and see if there's deficiencies. If they're not performing, there's a reason, because people, 90% of people who go on a diet lose weight. It's just a fact. They do, regardless of the diet. Compliance is the problem. But 90% of people who do lose weight gain it back, and that's a compliance problem. That's the bigger issue long-term is whether or not people can be consistent over the long-term. It's not a problem with the diet. It's a problem with the user. Uh, and most people tend to do as they've always done and go back to their bad habits 
I see it with natural uh, as well as enhanced athletes. I see it with people who try and lose weight naturally and those who uh, go to hormone replacement clinics and, and try testosterone and thyroid. Compliance is usually the problem. And is it just a case of having a cheat meal too much or overestimating your portions, or is it just a case the willpower goes? You know, what tips would you give somebody? So it's a to- little of everything. It's a little of everything. It can be, you know, when I design a program, I try and optimize everything. The best, you know, the, uh, the sleep, the meals, the exercise, the hormones, uh, all of those things. I try and optimize all of those things for them. And then what happens is over time is, oh, I might miss a couple hours sleep here. I might miss a workout there. I might miss a cardio session here. I might uh, eat too much there. And those things tend to compound on each other. And then eventually the results start to slow or, or disappear. And then they just give up. Um, we see this in, at HRT clinics all the time. Uh, I have a number of friends who own many of those. And they say the biggest problem is people come in and, they get on the program and, and they get, they initially, they get great results for the first 30 days, but then they start not complying with certain aspects of the program. And that's why I like to use a tracking sheet. I encourage everybody that I train to use a tracking sheet and record how many hours of sleep you got, what you weighed in the morning, how many meals you got, how many walks you took, when you exercised, how much food you ate, just a little checkbox thing throughout the day. And then over the course of time, you can see where you've fallen short. It works as a reminder, kind of a, uh, you know, to keep you honest. Um, and it helps me as a coach to make a quick assessment of why things aren't improving the way that they should. Because most folks, most coaches just want to try and work you out harder. And you can't out-train a bad diet. You know that. Uh, and training and, and calorie burning through exercise is really such a small portion of the calories that are consumed every day that focusing on that is an uphill battle. And, you know, what, what were the wee things that you did, you know, the little things that gave you the biggest bang for your back, you know? What are those little fundamental things that you did that made you so successful? Well, I hate sounding like a broken record, but that's what I was good at, the little things, which I define as the big things. But to me, the 99% is sleeping, is eating, whether calorie surplus or calorie deficit, depending on your goals, consistently, is training, uh, first consistently, and then working hard on intensity uh, over time. Those are what I did well. That's why I call myself a, a blue-collar athlete, because I performed outside the gym very well, and that's what made me good inside. I did all the little things, or what people call the little things, very, very well, consistently. Never stayed up past 10. You know, with a lot of athletes I train that are big athletes, uh, need a CPAP. Uh, wearing one to, you know, to battle apnea and to get better sleep is important. Uh, eating every three hours on a clock all day long, every single day, not just a couple days or four days or a week or two, but all the time, day in, day out, week in, week out month in, month out, year in, year out, and decade in, decade out. Those are the things that I did very consistently in track. I had blood tests on almost a monthly basis for the last 12 years and still do it even though I don't compete. I still wake up every morning, check my weight, cross off 
how many walks I do, how much training I did, how many meals I ate, um, the types of foods that I eat, uh, whether or not I'm consistently taking my multivitamins. Uh, I don't want to say multivitamins. Whether or not I'm consistently uh, remedying deficiencies. In my case, I had a vitamin D deficiency uh, at one point that really hampered my performance, and so I remedied that problem, and so now I track it every single day, and I watch it on my blood test. And for everybody, those kinds of things could be different. Uh, so I call that the 99%. And the 1%, to me, the little stuff that matters much less is the things like taking creatine or protein powder or, you know, some fancy workout scheme or schedule. All of that stuff, to me, adds up in its entirety to 1%. 99% of your progress is going to come from what is perceived to be the little things, all the things I just spoke of, the intangibles. Yeah, it's like polishing a light on a broken car. It's, you know, it yeah. may look good, but it's not going to do anything for you in the long run. So No, no. And I've Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, what were you going to say, sorry? I was going to say that, that this has happened with some of the greatest athletes in the world. You know, last fall, Hofdor Bjornsson came to me. 420 pounds, took second in the world's strongest man. He's at the top of his game, one of the strongest men in the world, but he wanted to win. Okay, second wasn't good enough for him, and that's how great athletes think. And so we went back to basics. I didn't get involved in his programming of his training and how many stones he lift and how much weight he squatted. That was of no interest to me. I wanted to get behind the scenes and find out, were there, was there anything we could fix that would, that would give him a significant improvement in performance overall? And we found a lot of things. All the things I just mentioned, we found out he wasn't sleeping well because he had apnea. We did a blood test and found out that he had high blood sugars because he was insulin resistant because I think he was eating a lot of foods that he shouldn't be eating, flours and uh, uh, sugars and stuff like that, um, just too much variety that was confusing the stomach. Um, he was vitamin D deficient. He lives in Iceland. That's a no-brainer, but you know he, he didn't get a test. He couldn't see the reality of that in front of his face, and so he never really fought to consistently consume vitamin D3. So we remedied all those problems uh, first took 20, 25 pounds off of him so we could uh, get his body fat down so that his insulin sensitivity would improve, increase the vitamin D, improved his sleep. All those things improved insulin sensitivity. So now his nutrient partitioning improved. When he was consuming calories, they were being used to build muscle and to put you know, glycogen in the muscles and, uh, instead of just being stored as fat, which is what happens when you're insulin resistant. And he went back, he went down to 395. We got him healthy and turned around and, and increased his calories and I redesigned his diet such that uh, the types of foods he was eating were uh, uh, more utilizable by him and, and didn't cause allergies, etc. And he went up to 440 and set all PRs for himself in the deadlift, set a world record in the, in the, uh, in the uh, I think it was the, the throw over the bar. Uh, it went from placing fifth or sixth and as his best at the Arnold to placing second to Brian Shaw uh, this year uh, and then went on to the world's strongest man and beat Brian Shaw, which has been his goal. We know Eddie Hall won that, uh, the overall by one point, but nonetheless, his performance personally improved significantly from doing the little things. One of those other little things was with his travel schedule, and, and I find myself having to do this because I travel a lot too, is the logistics of planning those meals, getting places uh, not too late so you can still get to bed on time. Uh, finding a hotel with a kitchenette in it, making sure that your food's there ready for you when you land, making sure you're hydrated well enough on an airplane using uh, sodium 
tablets where necessary or salty foods to keep you from getting dehydrated. All of those things help with recovery. They help with your health, help with your performance. So those are the things that we fix, little things behind the scenes, something as simple as, as making sure you had a, a meal when you landed. Uh, and all those things add up. You know, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, and they improve his performance. And those are the things that I focus on as a coach. You know, th- this is like why I'm such a big fan of yours. You know, it's instead of being just one of those guys that say get in the gym seven days a week. You know, you're very articulate. You look at things very detailed, and you really break it down. And you look at the psychology of the athlete, and you know how people train in that. But do you see, like, say for example, um, the mountain? for the lack of a better word there. Do you um, see him as somebody who's naturally good at this sort of thing? Or are there certain types of people that are good at bodybuilding and powerlifting naturally? Genetics reigns supreme. That's a given. And that's not within your control. And so I don't focus on that too much. Now, at the front end, you may choose your sport or your goal based on what you are more likely to be successful at. I say stay in your lane, stick with your strengths. Uh, my stepson is Simone. My wife's Simone. Uh, he was 315 pounds when he was 15 years old. Probably not going to be a good marathon runner, right? So, you know, choose the sport that, that you think you have a good chance of, of being successful at. Uh, if you want to be a pro strongman and you're, uh, you know, 5'10", 170, Probably not too likely. So, yeah, uh, genetics is, is, is going to be very important. Probably not going to be center for the L.A. Lakers if you're 5'9". It's not going to happen. So that's first and foremost. But beyond that, I think once you, uh, you know, find a, a path that, that your uh, genetics is conducive for, and, you know, many countries recruit kids from a very early age based on their uh, parents' Uh, genetic predisposition um, using very specific measurements of these kids when they're as young as four, five, six years old. Um, so people understand, you know, the world understands, at least at a high level in, in athletics, that genetics is very, very important. Beyond that, um, I think that that it's just going to take a lot of heart. It's going to take a blue-collar person. I'll, you know, give me a hungry athlete over a, a gifted athlete any day of the week. Uh, and I'll and I'll make them into a better athlete. And are there people that you look at and think they shouldn't be able to lift that much? You know, like you know, say they're like somebody natural or somebody small who's lifting an amazing amount of volume and weight. Is there outliers that you look at and just think you're not? You know, you they're just amazing compared to the size they are and what they're doing on the the lifting platform. Yeah, I see it all the time nowadays. Uh, Jesse Norris is a perfect example of that. The kid doesn't weigh over 200 pounds, you know, and he's deadlifting and squatting over 800, no problem. And, uh, there are some freaks out there, and you hit the nail on the head when you said outliers. As more and more people have gotten involved in lifting, you're starting to see more and more of these outliers crop up. And that's true with any sport. You know, when MMA started out, uh, you know, the Ronda Rousey story is a perfect example of someone who just dominated until over time, uh, more athletes who started at a younger age and learned more skills uh, were able to compete. So the same thing's going to happen 
in lifting and has happened. Uh, and particularly just over the last, seems like seven or eight years since it's gotten more and more popular. And I attribute that popularity a lot to the CrossFit group because you see now so many women getting involved just as a result of having lifted weights, of, of accepting the, the, the uh, body types that, that are, are created from that weightlifting. Um, and now you go to a powerlifting meet and half of them are CrossFitters and most of the women. It's because they're lifting weights and they enjoy lifting heavy. And there's so many people participating now that almost every day I wake up and I look at the uh, social media feeds and I'm seeing freakish things happening more and more by younger and younger athletes. You know, obviously Larry Wheels is a great example of that. He was benching almost 600 pounds when he was 19. You know, it seems these days that kids are in elementary school are going out at recess time and deadlifting 800 pounds. It's just, it's just shocking. And do you think that's just from better access to like instructional videos that yourself and Mark Bell and people like that have done, or is it just open up the popularity of it and you know the motivation from social media? Or? Well, yeah, all of that. It's it's three three big things. One is genetics. Bigger people are marrying bigger people. More athletic people are marrying more athletic people, and they're having bigger and more athletic offspring. That's first and foremost. Second is nutrition. People are eating more foods and better foods at a younger age, more consistently over a longer period of time, and their bodies are reaching, uh, you know, a more optimum level of, of, of maturity and performance. Uh, and the third is just like we've just talked about, participation. The more and more people that actually try something, you're going to start to see, uh, as you would on any chart, the outliers pop in, pop in the people who are more gifted, more talented, uh, coupled with uh, the harder, harder work. Um, and like you said, access to better information at a younger age. And so they're getting better sooner. And all of that's happening and it's happening in a very quick way now with the internet uh, in strength training overall, which is making better athletes across the board. And when you were younger, you studied psychology at uh, university. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, I have a degree in psychology from the University of Oregon. I also studied exercise science there. Uh, and do you think you've used that psychology sort of background in your business, your lifting and competing? You know, I thought about that the other day, and I, and and yes, because you know one of the big components. And somebody asked me one time, well, you know, what makes you a great athlete? And I, I said, you know, I think it's the work ethic, like I said, the, the, the blue-collar portion of it, just being driven, the type A versus type B personality. And one of the biggest challenges I have is that, and I even had this with my stepson, you know, living under the roof of an athlete and a coach, uh, he just wasn't really interested in playing football. You can't motivate somebody to do something they don't want to do. And I see this in, in rehabilitation, drug addiction, everything that you come across in, in life, someone has to have the motivation. They have to personally want to do it bad enough and then be driven to do everything that they need to do just to wake up in the morning having a desire to do the things necessary to reach their goals, whatever that may be. So, yeah, psychology is important, but I still don't think, and I can, and I can certainly motivate a, a motivated person or a, a driven individual, but it's really hard. Uh, to help someone who is interested in helping themselves or may just not have the passion to do what they've gotten themselves involved in for whatever reason. Uh, it's innate, 
you know, there's nature and nurture. And I really think that that drive, that type A personality, or maybe just finding that passion uh, has to happen first. And how could somebody find their why to go to the gym? You know, like, for example, you you used to play football and you wanted to put the muscle on, you know, to compete better. But how could, say, somebody listening who wants to get in shape, no idea how to do it, how can they find their why to go to the gym? Well, I've found that if you want something bad enough, like you just said, if somebody wants to play football bad enough, then they'll do anything and be great and be an NFL ball player. They'll do anything necessary and try and optimize everything necessary to be the best. And that includes weight training. If somebody wants to be in shape and they really want that bad enough, it's not just a, a thought. It's not just, uh, they weren't just inspired. You know, it's 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. Everybody wants something. They have these dreams or whatever all the time. They watch a movie, all of a sudden you're inspired or motivated to do something. But is that your dream? Is that really what you want more than anything in the world, going to the gym isn't very difficult, uh, a, a very difficult decision to make once you understand how important that can be uh, to help you achieve your goal, because you'll do anything to achieve your goal. Going to the gym isn't the goal. Uh, never, for most people, never was. You know, just bodybuilders, probably the only people that go to the gym or powerlifters that go to the gym because that's their goal is to lift weights. Most people do it because it, it improves uh, their ability to reach their goal, which might be become a professional athlete, might be to uh, have a great physique, you know, any of those things. So it, it's just part of it's a tool for most people. And how deep into this does somebody need to go? You know, do they need to worry about things like drop sets and when to put belts on and all that sort of stuff or creatine? Or can they just, you know, get a good body shape by consistently going or, you know, you're limited by your genetics? I, you know, yes, you're going to be limited by your genetics to some degree. But if you want to maximize your performance, then, uh, you know, you start with the fundamentals, you start with consistency, then you build into intensity, as we discussed. Uh, and then eventually, as you get closer and closer to your goals or want to make more and more changes, you you got to pull out all the stops. Now, how important are those stops? Like you said, creating your drop sets or all that stuff, they still add up to maybe 1%. But if you've gotten to 99% from your sleeping and uh, eating and, and training hard, et cetera, and you want to to get that extra little bit, you, none of that will ever take the place of uh, the sleeping, eating, and training hard intensity. And you could probably do it without that, but as an adjunct, you know, as sometimes as we say, and as an accessory too, uh, all of those things can be considered. And you might try them to see whether or not they provide you a benefit greater than someone else. But I often find that it's because you're deficient somewhere else that one of those things work. And I'll, I'll pick on creatine for a second. If you're not eating red meat and you're not taking in enough sodium, you're leaving an opening for creatine to work because there's creatine in meat and most of the effect of creatine has to do with intracellular water retention. So if you don't have adequate intracellular water retention because you're not taking an adequate sodium as an athlete and you're not eating red meat, so you're not getting at least some creatine, then when you take creatine, you're going to get a significant benefit and think, oh, my God, creatine is the bomb, where in fact you're deficient elsewhere. You didn't do the basics well enough. And so you are finding a, you know, a significant improvement. And that applies to many, 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 many things that you might think are extraordinarily beneficial. 
whereas the benefit might just be coming because you're deficient in the 99%. Does that make sense? Perfectly, yeah. It's, it's something I kept forgetting was I would, well, excuse my French, I would fuck around with the little stuff and not do the big stuff. Like you said, you know, the fundamentals, the 99%. I would worry about the 1% of when, you know, 30 minutes to get my protein shake in. But we go to the gym t- for another week or something. You know, it was the silly things. And how can we get our heads mentally right for this? You know, what three things would you have somebody listening do to get better in the gym or get a better shape or transform themselves? Well, I plan for every workout. If, if I want to perform well in the gym, then I plan for it like somebody would for a competition. You know, the time and energy and, and, and logistics that you put into preparing for a competition, whether it be running a 10K or, you know, doing a CrossFit competition or fighting an MMA fight or whatever, you go into camp and you prepare for that. I prepare for every workout. I'm not competing in anything. But I know if I'm going to squat on Sunday, then around Thursday or Friday at the latest, I'm looking at that last 48 hours. How am I going to perform well on Sunday? And then I pay attention to all of the fundamentals. I'm going to make sure I get every hour of sleep I can. I'm going to take my 20-minute nap. I'm going to make sure I get every single meal, every three hours, and, and you know, my, my, uh, uh, my water, my hydration is good. I'm getting an adequate sodium in. Uh, I'm going to make sure that I've done, say, maybe my, some of my mobility work, just, uh, just moving my muscles so that they're totally recovered and I've got a lot of blood, et cetera. And I'm not going to miss a single meal, a single glass of water, a single hour of sleep. And by Sunday, I'm prepared. And so that's the motivation for me. Those are the, I don't know if that's three things, and I don't even know if that's mental. Uh, because to me, action is more important than, than just thinking about it. Uh, so that's kind of how I back into the equation. If I want to do great on that leg day, then I need to be prepared to do great. When you go into these sort of things, you know, does it really matter if you have three meals or six meals, as long as the food quality is good? You know, how do you get into the zone for, like, lifting heavy and really pushing yourself in the gym? Do you draw aggression from, you know, previous bad stuff like some people talk about? Or, you know, how how do you keep that intensity in the gym? Yeah, I've never taken my brain there. I, I get intensity out of being prepared. I know what it's supposed to feel like. And I know that if I've done everything right and I've slept well and I've ate well and I'm well hydrated and I get to the gym and the weights feel light and my body doesn't ache or isn't sore, then I can perform. You know, if I'm distracted by the fact that the weights feel heavier, I still have the late onset muscle soreness. Or if I've got a twinge or something that I didn't uh, work out previously with a, you know, an adequate rehab program or something, uh, those are going to affect my lifts. So... I base it on, you know, how my body feels. I don't have to bring uh, any particular other mental stimulus into the game. I don't have to, you know, to me, getting angry wouldn't do me any good. Uh, but being prepared does. And so I focus on that kind of thing. I also try and stay away from stimulants because I think that they act against you uh, over time that you attenuate to them. Uh, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So your body will, you know, create cortisol and, and Uh, kind of fight you in that process. And when I get to the platform, I want to be able to find within myself the ability to generate the 
adrenaline or the the the, the emotional uh, uh, you know stimulus that I need to squat that big weight. If I'm getting it outside of myself, if I'm popping pills or whatever to try and get it, then it's it's not it's something that you have a hard time finding when you need it. And so those things become important to me. Oh, that, it's a fantastic answer. I've, I've never actually heard it put like that. You know, I've heard people say, oh, use past rage from, you know, getting bullied in school or, you know, like take like a sugar hit before you go in and stuff like that. But I really like that way you're putting it. You know, it's that find, find that place that you can get to each time. So if you were to go in and feel off, do you find it likely it's going to be something you've done leading up to the gym session? Absolutely. Yeah, for me, I can look back and see whether or not I've, uh, I've built up too much fatigue from too too much frequency or, you know, uh, I didn't respond or recover from the previous workout or I didn't adequately prepare for uh, this current workout. Most people can quickly uh, assess why their performance is, is bad. And, you know, when my training partner is big, oh, I had friends in for the weekend. I was out till 2 a.m. That's an easy one. You know, that's easy. Uh, things like that, everybody comes up all the time. Uh, but to, to dig down a little deeper and find out, well, I missed an hour of sleep, or I didn't get that, uh, I didn't get enough sodium yesterday in my meals, or I missed one meal. Those things can be huge to me in terms because I'm at such a level when I'm in there performing that I know the difference between something that's quote unquote small. Uh, you know, it's easy to see if you stayed up to 2 a.m. and had a couple of drinks and got dehydrated and come in in the morning and you're underperforming. That's easy to see. But when it's the little teeny differences, when I know the difference between, uh, when I know what a 800-pound squat's supposed to feel like and what it actually felt like, that to me, I can, I can, I can tell. You know, if the speed wasn't there, if it affected my body and if I had to grind, I know the difference. And that's a lot more important uh, than just trying to emotionally psych yourself up. You know, it becomes difficult to psych yourself up when you uh, didn't get adequate sleep, didn't get adequate food, didn't get adequate water. Um, you know, you can spaz out all you want and you're probably not going to perform very well. And so how how does, you know, it, it's pretty difficult for somebody who's just like, you know, I'm, say, deadlifting sort of 210 kilograms, which is, what, about 440, almost 500 uh, pounds. Yeah. But how can somebody visualize what that's like to squat that amount? You know, like, for these insane amounts, how do they feel on you? Is it like, do do you really notice a difference as the weight goes up, or is it quite a considerable jump each time you go up, say, 50 pounds? Or? Oh, yeah, yeah, you always notice, you, especially for a, uh, a lifter that's been lifting for a while, you, you feel each weight is different. It's different on the central nervous system. The bar path might even change. Uh, you know, if, if somebody's deadlifting and wants me to, to critique their form and they're only pulling a 50% load, I can't help them very much unless their form's horrific. I need to see what happens. Where's the breaking point? At what weight does their technique start to fail and in which way does it fail? So I know how to, how to correct that. I know when I get to a certain weight, when my lower back's going to pop out. And, uh, I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying when it'll, it'll start to flex, uh, as it should not. And so, I have to go about trying to work on on that uh, that quote unquote weakness, uh, and that's you know that's what the great coaches do. That's what 
uh, you know, Westside Barbell's done so well uh, over the years is identify those weaknesses, but you can't really identify them unless you're a beginner uh, at 50% loads. The, you know, an advanced lifter is going to have to to put some weight on the bar to start to see, uh, you know, how that extra weight affects their their chain. What link starts to to come out of place? Um, and I'll say also with respect to what I think about and how I prepare, it, it's like anything. The more you practice, obviously, the better you get. And uh, you know, Eddie Cohn talked about this. He'll lift 135 exactly the same way as he will. Uh, you know, 900. And that, um, what I mean is, is that his, his approach to the bar, the way he positions it, uh, his breathing, his, his walkout, uh, you know, his setup, everything so that it becomes, it's like a pro basketball player shooting a three pointer, you know, Kobe will go in at 4am in the morning, and shoot 2000 three pointers. Uh, it, it starts to become something that's just innate for you. You don't have to think about it. And so when I'm doing a big lift, I don't really have to think about you know, the specifics, the mechanics of the lift necessarily. I've done it so many times that I can just focus on the intensity uh, of the lift. My uh, brother-in-law is a surgeon, uh, does cleft palate surgeries, a facial surgeon. And, uh, you know, he was asked in an interview one time the very same question. What do you, you know, what are you thinking about while you're in there? And he says, well, he says, if I'm thinking, I'm probably not doing a very good job. He says this, you know, I just turn on the music and it's a delicate dance with me and my team. And uh, and I thought it was really interesting to hear that from a you know a professional surgeon uh, that they do much the same thing. It should be uh, there shouldn't ever be anything that goes wrong. It should be very consistently the same thing practiced hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of times over many years. I love that mindset. I was just sitting thinking. It's just so simple. It's so structured, and it's so. <laughs> When I think of all the silly things I've done over the years, so how how do you track this? Is it just a pen and paper, or do you use an app, or you know how how do you keep the um, you know track of like your sodium, your meals, your water, etc.? Oh yeah, I just I go down to the to Target and get a, a graph paper, uh, you know, with all the little lines on it, right? And across the top, I write the day of the day of the month, you know, first through the thirtieth. Uh, at the bottom. Uh, each day I, I record my weight and along the side, I write every single thing on this list that I should be paying attention to. Uh, more recently, I've been eating a carrot every day. I put that on the list and I can see whether or not I ate my carrot every day. I can look and say, oh, shit, I missed my carrot yesterday. Reminds me to eat it today. Uh, and you could do that with any, you know, whether or not I'm taking my vitamin D3. Um, I got my blood test and my calcium was elevated because my D3, D3 improves calcium absorption. And so I decreased uh, my calcium intake. I was supplementing uh, uh, calcium, magnesium, zinc, and I went to just supplementing magnesium and zinc. I took the calcium out. Uh, so little adjustments like that I learned from the blood test, but I'm saying it's on my sheet. I track it every day, and I, I know exactly why what's happening is happening. And if I have a shortcut or a short, uh, if I come up short in terms of performance, I can look at my chart and easily see uh, where I'm falling short. Oh, I only got five hours of sleep the last two nights. You know, maybe you don't think about that, you know, objectively, because we always tend to, to lie to ourselves. But when you look at it on a piece of paper, it's pretty easy to see. You know, I said that on Mark Bell's podcast one time. If you're only sleeping five hours a night but taking your creatine every day, you're a fucking idiot. 
it's it's when you th- when you put it like that, it's amazing just how many people will be, you know, smacking their head just now, going, yeah, I've I've done exactly that. So how you know, there's bound to be somebody listening just now saying, oh, that's great for somebody who can just train. I've got a job, I've got a family. Can you go into a little bit about how having a family and you know you've got a beautiful family and being you know, you've got a stepson and a daughter, etc. How has that changed you as a lifter and as a person? Well, back to reality. Reality about genetics, reality about performance-enhancing drugs, reality about the cost, both in terms of money and time, of reaching your goals. Uh, I've said in a number of interviews that when I was competing, I didn't have kids. I didn't have... uh, uh, I, I didn't have really much work obligation. I packed my bags. I had the time and I had the money. I went down and and moved into an extended stay across the street from the gym. And I trained with Flex Wheeler every day, twice a day for two months, ate eight times a day, slept 10 hours a day. And no, not everybody can do that. I, I was fortunate to have that opportunity. That having been said, now I'm in a much different position. And and that's the quandary of many young athletes, uh, people who are trying to compete in the Olympics. That's 99% of them can't afford to train as often uh, as they'd like and have to work uh, and can't afford uh, New York stakes every day. I get that. Um, You just have to do the best you can do. Now that I don't compete and I do have kids and I have a lot of other obligations and businesses that I run, I try and get, the most from the least time investment. I use what I call a good uh, high return on investment exercises. Uh, I go to the gym and get the most I can out of it. I don't do uh, spend any more time there than I have to. Uh, you know, and, and I plan ahead. Like my food is always prepared for you know, not for me, but I prepare it myself for three days in advance. And most people do that now uh, because it takes more time and more money to haphazardly locate a, a restaurant and it's less effective, and so that helps me to be organized uh, and to be efficient. You know, the logistics of the whole thing come back into play. And, you know, for somebody who's listening to this, um, what what would you do you want them to take away from this interview? You know, if, if there was one message you wanted to get through to them, what would it be? Well, it goes back to the, the, the stuff we talked about. It's the intangibles. Consistency is, is, is the single most important thing. Be organized. Uh, have good time management skills. Um, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. You know, you could be good at anything, but you can't be good at everything. So you really got to just pick your path and stay focused on it and be disciplined. So that's kind of what I've, I've, that's, that's been the basis of this entire conversation and most conversations that I have. And I feel like I'm a boring interview because those are the things I talk about all the time, but those are things that are most important. No, I mean, I, when I started this podcast, it was always going to be an audience of one, even if it was just myself learning and, you know, learning from the experts, that would be worth every penny I put into this. But I think you've changed so many people's opinions and ways of training, and you'll definitely have helped a lot of people fix those silly, nagging things that have been holding them back in the gym and in life. 
So how did the cooler come about? You know, you've invented an awesome product there. Um, was that just something that you noticed that was missing from the gym, and or was it something people noticed, or have you always had this kind of business acumen? Well, I've I've started and, and built uh, numerous multi-million dollar companies. I've, I'm just as driven in terms of that as I am in, in bodybuilding. But the cooler specifically is I started training professional athletes way back in the early 90s. I worked with a number of uh, football players from the University of Oregon who went to Rose Bowl and subsequently went to about a dozen different NFL teams throughout the country. And one of the things that um, that that I was huge on was nutrition. These guys would train like crazy. They'd always train. But whether or not you know they'd reach their goals depended on whether or not they'd eat enough, often enough, well enough. Uh, you, you can, you know, you can work out all you want, but you don't build muscle in the gym and, and nutrition to me has always been the biggest piece. So I would actually bring their shakes with me to the gym because uh, it was a waste of time. And I told them that I said, all you're doing here today is breaking down muscle tissue. What are you doing to repair it? And so I would have to bring the drinks for them because they, they weren't disciplined enough to do it themselves. And so, uh, you know, many years ago I was coaching, uh, I was helping doing some strength and conditioning for a football team up in uh, Northern California. And it was a really hot day. And they were having like three-hour workouts. And I noticed the kids didn't have much water with them. They were sharing each other's waters, and they had no calories, no nutrition with them for the length of this, this, this workout. No sodium, no carbohydrates, no protein, no nothing. And that, to me, was huge. Uh, so I went down to Walmart, and I bought a bunch of huge rolling coolers and ice and gallons and gallons of chocolate milk. Just something that simple, Right. Nothing extraordinary about it. it it's just salt, water, uh, sugar, uh, protein. And I made them drink it uh, uh, after the workouts the next day or offered it to them. And, and of course, they did. And then, you know, tell them then you can go home and eat. Uh, so that became important to me. And I thought, well, what would be a convenient way for these kids to have access to the water and have access to some sort of nutrition that could stay that, that would stay cold? It wouldn't be, you know, a perishable that, that wouldn't uh, get warm while they're out practicing on the field. And so I designed the, the cooler so they could have both their ice water and a shaker bottle full of some sort of post-workout drink. In my mind at the time, it was chocolate milk, of course, but it could be a protein shake, whatever. Uh, I just know that water's not enough. You know, when LeBron James went down in the playoffs with cramps, that's not a water problem. You know, that, that's, that's a carbohydrate deficiency problem. That's an electrolyte deficiency problem. That's what that is. Uh, and, and at the um, CrossFit National Championships, it was a year before last, um, those guys were dropping like flies. It was humid. It was hot. And that's not a water problem. You know, that's, as we know from marathon runners and uh, endurance athletes, they have to continually take in salt and continually take in carbs uh, to, to make it through those, those long bouts without uh, cramping. And these football player kids on hot days in the middle of summer training for three hours is the same thing. And so I tried to devise a system that people could have all of their necessary drinks with them in a handy format so they because it, it's hard to get them to lug that stuff around and where could somebody pick one of these up is there a website to go to or yeah my site thecooler.com with a k they can go there and just order them right off the website and send them out and do you ship over is it worldwide yet or is it just to the u.s you know, I, bodybuilding.com was distributing in the UK for a short bit, and I, I don't know that they're continued that they've continued to. I haven't seen any orders from them recently. Uh, Canada has them working on an Australia distributor and working on a, a 
South American distributor, but uh, for now, the U.S. Is, and Canada is the primary location. Because I was, I was trying to get one. I was when I seen them, I thought that is what I want. You know, before I even started um, thinking about asking you to come on, I was like, I want one of them. They look, they look fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I get a lot of inquiries from folks in in, in Europe, and they uh, unfortunately, without a distributor in the area, it's cost prohibitive to mail one over there. Uh, and so for now, I'm still waiting to get a, a big one of the big distributors. Uh, having aired on Shark Tank, I'm getting more interest from those people. I have had some inquiries, and it's just a matter of getting them to commit to taking a big shipment uh, from my manufacturer so they can distribute them. It, it'll be done. It'll be done. If not, uh, if not this summer, then certainly by next spring. And um, do you enjoy, you know, the business side of things as much as the competing? Do they compare, or do you like one over the other? I, I love it all. You know, I'm just, I'm, that's just me. I, I'm just never satisfied. I'm, I'm type A. I always got to be working on something. I sit around I can, for too long. And... I love the passion and the intensity. You know, you, your voice is so alive with sort of like, you know, I want to do this. I want to do that. I can feel the kind of energy from it. Um, I'm, I realize now we've been talking for over an hour. I've literally got hundreds of more questions, but um, are you okay for a, a couple of more? Yeah, let's do two more. I'm gonna Flex and I just finished training. We're gonna go get a bite in ourselves. And so let me wrap up with two questions. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, I was just gonna ask, uh, how can somebody keep in touch with you? You know, what's the ways to get to monitor you and um, to see what you're doing and get more involved with your projects? Uh, just to see what I'm doing. Social media is always the best way. At Stan Efforting is my Instagram. I post most of the stuff on there. Uh, I've had done many of my rhinos rants on YouTube. I'm still intending on going back to that, but I've been so busy that I haven't had one more recently, but uh, YouTube, Stan Efforting, um, uh, at Stan Efforting on, on Instagram, uh, Stan Efforting on Facebook, so, and then my website, StanEfforting.com, and so if they want to reach out to me to do a training package or something, I do work with athletes all over the world uh, for online training, and I'm still happy to do some of that, uh, so that's the best way to get at me. And finally, um, I mean, this has been an absolute honor. I've, I've, I would not say grown up, you know, but since I've, I discovered you on YouTube, um, you know, seeing you with Mark Bell and your Rhino Rant videos, and I've become a, a fan for ages. And, you know, you were just so articulate, so and passionate. And, you know, I've been a fan for ages. So to have a chance to speak to you, this is a true honor. Um, but if you were to speak to everybody listening right now, to all of mankind, what would you want to say to them? Oh, I'd say just to pursue your passion, just to pursue your passion. And that I've had a great life as a result. I just, uh, you know, when I graduated from college, I took a job as a maintenance man, plunging toilets and sweeping garbage areas. I was the best damn toilet plunger and garbage area sweeper in the country. I'm sure of it. If there was a competition, I don't want. And I just did everything as best I could, no matter what it was, and it always led to something better. So I think that's what's important. I, I mean, I just love the way you look in life. Um, it's been a pleasure. I'd love to have you on again at some point in the future. Um, I wish you nothing but success for the future. You're an amazing guy, and I really appreciate your time. I'll um, wrap up here. Um, Thank you so much for doing it. I'll send you the link when it's ready, and if you if you like it and, be, and happy to promote it, that'd be amazing. Um, have you any questions at the moment? Or no, thank you very much. It's been an honor, and to you and your fans, uh, you know, God bless you guys. Take care.
Thank you very much, Stan. Have a great day and say hi to Flex. Thanks, man. Talk to you later. That's it for another week. Thanks for listening. Absorb it. Practice it. Use it. Until next time, keep trying to hit that next level in your life.